0: You're listening to a sermon from crcculliman.org. Psalm 84, you might like to follow along. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home. And the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty, listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God, look with favour on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I could probably just sit down right now, couldn't I? (laughs) How good is that psalm? The verse that really jumps out to me there, my soul yearns, my soul yearns. Do you yearn? Do you yearn? Yearning is, is longing for something, desiring it, hungering for it. You know, all your thoughts get fixated on this one thing. We yearn for the deeper things in life. Some people yearn, others don't. I've got a quick clip here for you and Apologies, apologies to anyone who's not a Seinfeld fan, okay, so here we go. Gee, Kramer, I, uh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> say yes. Yes, George, yes. <laughs> yes? Yes. Should I give you my keys? Is, uh, is that the transaction, trading keys? Because Elaine has my keys. Well, you can get them back. I suppose I could. Because you see, George, having the keys to Jerry's apartment, that kept me in a fantasy world. Every time I went over to his house, it was like I was on vacation. Better food, better view, better TV. Cleaner. Oh, much cleaner. That became my reality. I ignored the squalor in my own life because I'm looking at life, you see. Through Jerry's eyes. It's living in twilight, George. Living in the shadows, living in the darkness. Like you. Me? Oh, yeah. I can barely see you, George. All right, stop it, Kramer. You're freaking me out. Hi. Are you ready to order? Yeah, what's No, the no, yours? not yet, not yet. Excuse it's, it's it. Get oh. Do you ever yearn? Yearn? Do I yearn? I yearn. You yearn. Oh yes, yes, I yearn. Often I I sit and yearn. Have you yearned? No. Well, not recently. I craved. I crave all the time, constant craving. I haven't yearned. Look at you. Oh, Kramer, don't start. No, no. You're wasting your life. I am not. What you call wasting, Mm. I call living. I'm living my life. Okay. Like what? No, no, tell me. Uh, Do you have a job? No. You got money? No. Do you have a woman? No. Do you have any prospects? No. You got anything on the horizon? Uh... No. Do you have any action at all? No. Do you have any conceivable reason for even getting up in the morning? I like to get the daily news. George, it's time for us to grow up and be men. Not little boys. Why? I'm going to California. You know, I got the bug. Yeah, I think I got a touch of something, too. The acting bug, ever since I was in that Woody Allen movie these pretzels are making me thirsty that was one line you got fired i know i know man i never felt so alive now you coming with me uh no i'm not all right suit yourself but let's keep this between us we're key brothers now you're not really gonna go to california are you up here i'm already gone You yearn. <laughs> um, uh, what, what do you yearn for? Anything? Nothing? Are you like Kramer or George? George doesn't seem to hunger or strive after anything, does he? Kramer is, has, uh, on the other hand, has caught hold of the fact that there, there is something more in life he is made for, and Kramer wants to embark on a journey of discovery. George, however, is, is numbed out and paralysed by the ordinary, everyday distractions of life. So there are two types of people in this world, those that yearn and those that don't. And those who yearn are on a mission for more. There is a sense that there's more on offer than what they currently have. Uh, yearners kind of tend to be natural goal-setters. They're, they're driven. Their life is a journey. They're chasing after something. Those who don't yearn don't seem to approach life with the same sense of hunger and drive and mission. And whatever the day currently holds, they're okay with that. They don't lose too much sleep over where their life is or where it's headed. You know, where they are and what they have is enough. There's, there's contentment. Life is not so much a journey but a place to be. I'm a bit of a natural yearner, I should confess. I, I, I yearn, I just, it just comes naturally to me. Uh, I've yearned since I was a child. I, I'm told that I cried the whole way home from hospital in the car, you know, as a newborn baby. Like I've yearned for something more since I was a, a born. I think what we can all see from this psalm that I read to you though is there's one thing in life we should all yearn for. There's one thing we should all hunger after. And that's a deeper love of God. And so this is a sermon about love. Now most sermons about love are about God's love of us. But today I want us to think about our love of God. And uh, from verse 5 in the psalm, I want us to set our hearts on a pilgrimage. A journey of loving God more deeply, more intimately, more fully. I want us to set our hearts on a pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is a bit of an old word, isn't it? We don't tend to use it too much, unless, unless you're part of fusion. and are on a fusion pilgrimage to Uluru or somewhere, uh, they use it. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a spiritual or a religious sort of word. It's, it's about a journey or a search for something of spiritual significance. Sometimes it's an actual journey to a place of religious significance, or sometimes it's more of a metaphorical journey to a, a place of discovery. So we're going to set our hearts on a pilgrimage, and this is a, a journey of loving God more deeply. We're going to explore how to love God unconditionally. Do you know that's easier said than done? Uh, we tend to love God for what he does for us rather than who he is. We find it easier to love God in good seasons rather than difficult ones. We're also going to remind ourselves that loving God is our most significant priority in life. You know, as mature believers, we we risk replacing the simplicity of loving God as our chief purpose as believers with um, the the magnificence of of ministries and supernatural miracles and deep doctrine and impressive programs and, and music and mission and outreach, And all of those things, as we mature in our faith, we can lose sight of our first love. And we can make life with God about some of the more showier things of faith. So as we take this pilgrimage, we're going to discover how to love God unconditionally. And we're going to remind ourselves that loving God is our greatest priority in life. So whether you're someone who yearns, or whether you do not, today we are all going to yearn for God. There was a man uh, by the name of Bernard of Clairvaux, and he, he was a medieval uh, monk who lived around the 10th century. So we're talking about a 1,000 years ago, a long time ago. And he was one of the most famous figures in Europe at the time, and he was a, a quite a prolific writer, and much of his writing has been preserved to, to this day. Now, Bernard must have been a pretty charming and appealing bloke because he was very successful at persuading people the benefits of becoming a monk and joining his monastery. Now, that's no mean feat, um, given the conditions of living as a monk at the time and the vows of extreme poverty and chastity and obedience that they took. And it was said that mothers would hide their sons when he was around. Do you know anyone like... like do, do we ever have that today? Someone comes to town and as a mum, you're just like, man, I'm hiding my kids. <laughs> you know, I'm hiding my kids. Um, they, they were afraid that their sons would leave and become a monk. What was it in this man's message that was so appealing to people? What was it, do you think? What did he speak about and preach about and write about that, that just appealed so powerfully to people? Well, it was love. It was love. He believed that the Christian message in life was characterised by God's infinite love to humanity and the love that human beings return to God and that everything else was of secondary importance. So knowledge, secondary importance. Deeds, faith, secondary importance. Love was the greatest. And uh, here's a quote from Bernard He says, of all the movements, sensations and feelings of the soul, love is the only one in which the creature can respond to the creator and make some sort of similar return, however unequal though it be. For when God loves, all he desires is to be loved in return. The sole purpose of his love is to be loved in the knowledge that those who love him are made happy by their love of him. Those who love him are made happy by their love of him. God wants to be loved, not for his sake. You know He's complete in himself. He has no need for our love, does he? But he wants to be loved for our sake. He knows that we are most happy when we are loving him. How beautiful is that? We are most happy... When we are loving him. And Bernard writes about uh, degrees of love. About a progressing journey that we go on as believers. Journeying uh, in our love of God. And he talks about the first degree of love. This is where we all start. The first degree of love is love of ourself for our own benefit. Love of ourself for our own benefit. In the beginning this is where we all start. Loving ourselves more than God and um, basically you could say that's sort of the definition of sin really isn't it loving ourselves more than God and um, you know we we want to serve and um, satisfy ourselves first and foremost and God is of secondary interest to us if of any interest at all and when our life is pretty good and free from trouble and strife we might be tempted to think that this great life we live uh, we're, we're at the heart of that And our our love and our hearts, they're focused upon ourselves. And this can result in quite an excessive drive for pleasure and success and wealth and health and status. However, eventually something happens that causes us to realise we can't control everything that happens to us. We can't control everything that happens to us. And so this, this... leads us towards the second degree of love, love of God for what he does. So something goes wrong in your life, who's had something ever go wrong in their life? All right, I know who's awake and I know who's asleep. Okay, all right, let's try again. Who's ever had something go wrong in their life? All right, okay, just checking. Uh, You get sick, you lose your job, you, you have a problem with your child or your spouse, Something threatens your well-being. We've all been there, haven't we? And we start to seek after God in those moments, don't we? We realise we we need him in our lives. For without him, you know, we we realise we're incomplete and we're helpless. And so we seek out assistance from God. And and in the storms of life that bring chaos, we find shelter in him and we find peace in him. Uh, You know, alone we realise we're nothing. But but with him we realise we can do all things. And we discover that, that on our own we're pretty awful, but with him we're pretty awesome. And so we begin to love God for what he does. We, we look to him to meet our needs, and he does. We look to him for peace, and he brings it. We look to him for wisdom, and we receive it. And, and so we begin to, to love him for what he brings to our life, for the security he brings to our life and the community and the healing and the wholeness and the salvation and the purpose, the identity and the belonging. And we love him for our own sake, for our own benefit. And, you know, this is a pretty good start. This is a pretty good start. We all start here, if we're honest, if we're honest. And maybe maybe some of us are starting here today. Maybe this is where you currently are. Now, the way we discover who God is as a God of love is by going to him with our daily needs, going to him in prayer, bringing our needs to him, calling out to him, you know, I need you, Lord. No one else can help. I can't do it myself. Nothing else will satisfy. I need you, Lord. And as we, we bring ourselves to him and, and you know, we, we, we taste the, the, the sweetness of his kindness to us, As we taste his his mercy towards us, Uh, as we see his his direct intervention in our life, our our hearts get stirred, don't they, in admiration, in affection, in devotion towards him. We taste and see that the Lord is good. We experience his direct intervention in our life, his, his fatherly concern and care for us and we know that he is good because he has been good to us. We know he is love because he acts on our behalf. And and each time we we taste of his his love, our our affections towards him increase. Our appetite for him grows. You know, what sweet relief it is to experience and know God's love in this way. You know, no longer are we striving to meet our own needs or make our own significance in the world. No longer do we need to generate solutions for ourselves. We instead can go to God and we get all that we need from him. However, here's where many people park their hearts on their spiritual journey. They love God. But it's a self-focused love. God is good to me and so I love him. God has saved me and so I love him. God brings me peace, and so I love him. God has healed me, and so I love him. We love God, but it's conditional on what he does for us. It's it's a conditional love that we have for God. I have a cat, ginger marmalade. She's a ginger cat, funnily enough. And um, ginger marmalade loves me. In, in her own kind of way. She was sitting next to me yesterday. And she was smooching ahead head and rubbing all over me and, you know, I'm patting this cat. And, you know, she shows me this affection. She purrs and she comes and rubs against my legs and, and she asks for pats and she wants a head scratched and a chin scratched and, you know, everything, everything scratched there. And, and my cat loves hanging out with me. If I go out on a deck, marmalade comes out and it just sits there looking at me, purring intently. Um, But but does my cat love me because I am a supremely awesome being worthy of my cat's love? No. (laughs) I mean, it loves me because I feed it. It loves me because I pat it. It loves me because I meet its needs. It's pet love. It's pet love. And, and when we stay in this second degree of love, this, this conditional love for God, this, this, this pet love for God, you know, when, when we stay there, the problem is that, that when God doesn't fulfill our expectations, we get disappointed. We get angry with Him. We stop purring. You know, we think we have a right to obtain certain things from God and if we don't get them, we withdraw our love. You know, we become like that cranky child who who doesn't get their way and says to the parent, I don't love you and I wish you weren't my parent and I'm now running away from home. What parents have ever heard their child say, I'm going to run away from home? Hey, Yeah, yeah, we've heard that one before, haven't we? Have you ever known people who've experienced a traumatic event in their lives and now they're just so angry with God? You know, it's God's fault that things didn't work out the way they wanted them to. And so they, they withdraw from fellowship with God. He didn't meet their needs and now they don't want to know him. Or, or on the opposite side of things, someone who has come to God with a need and God meets their need and now they, they, they no longer have any reason to fellowship with him because their problem's been solved until next time they have a problem they need to go back to God you know even as as mature believers we can lose sight of loving God for who he is rather than what he does when we've journeyed with God for many years we we can lose sight of God in our pilgrimage and get distracted by all the other things on our journey all those things like doctrines and theology and programs and, and missions and miracles and money and, and, you know, your calling and your, your ministry success. Like, have, have you ever gone to the supermarket for one thing and, and like, walked out with a trolley load? Because you got distracted along the aisles. Okay. I mean, you go in there for cheese. Let's say you go into the supermarket for cheese and and suddenly you get there and you realize that there is more cheese in that supermarket than you have years in your age okay there's there's like there's tasty there's cheddar there's eden there's Gouda, there's Jarlsberg, there's Swiss, there's Havadi, you can get blocks, you can get sliced, you can get full fat, you can get low fat, you can get feta, and not just feta, you can get Persian Greek or Danish feta, you can get camembert, you can get brie, you can get buffalo milk cheese, goat's milk cheese, cow's milk cheese, you know, I'm pretty sure there's probably coconut milk cheese out there somewhere as well, you know, whatever your heart's desire, there is a cheese for it. You just needed the block of tasty cheese, okay? There probably is chocolate cheese. You just needed the block of tasty. You know, the, the block of tasty, it used to satisfy you, didn't it? I mean, back in the 1980s, all you needed was that block of coon in your fridge, didn't you? All right? I reckon I regularly keep about five or six different varieties of cheese in my fridge. But, but you know, all, all, you, all you needed was the block of tasty. But there are so many other cheeses out there to distract you. And, and, you know, as a mature cheese eater, you start to think that that block of tasty just doesn't do it for you anymore. You get to be bored with the tasty. Because everyone else eats the tasty, you know. Everyone else has the tasty cheese in their fridge, but, but you are a mature cheese eater. You, know, you are set apart as a cheese eater. You need something more in your life. And so you start to go after the Persian feta. You start believing for the sliced Havadi in your life. You, know, you, you watch some YouTube videos on making camembert. And as mature believers, we we risk elevating all the other stuff, the mission, the miracles, the the ministry, the money above our love life with God. Revelation 2.4, don't forsake your first love. Return to your first love. Jesus. Loving God should be our most significant priority. And I think for us as a church that is is pressing into God for for buildings and for salvations and for for growth and for ministry impact and for the use of spiritual gifts, we must not forget our first priority: loving God. So even if we've been living a committed Christian life for many years, you know we may be no more mature in our love life of God than someone who is just discovering God for the first time. Because we can get stuck in this second phase of loving God for our own sake. Loving God because of what he does for us or through us or with us. So we must not stop our pilgrimage of the heart there. Our hearts must journey deeper into the third degree of love. And that is love of God for who he is. Love of God for who he is. Loving God as the one who is worthy of love by reason of his greatness. Loving God not for what uh, significance or support we get from him, but simply loving God for who he is. Living in, in intimacy with God as your greatest aim and goal desiring God fixing your longings upon God himself and and this is the heart of the psalmist how lovely is your dwelling place Lord Almighty my soul yearns my soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young A place near your altar, Lord God Almighty, my King and God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. We journey from being self focused people to God focused people. We journey from being problem and need focused people to God focused people. Do you yearn? Do you yearn to love God more deeply? How is it, you think, that God takes us from this second degree of love to the third? How does God move us from from loving him conditionally to loving him unconditionally? How how does God take us from being distracted and fascinated and infatuated by all the other aspects of life and ministry and, and get us to focus on him as our first and our greatest love? How might God take us to a place where we yearn for a deeper love of him above all other human longings and desires? How does God take us on this pilgrimage of the heart? The thing with pilgrimages is is that they're difficult journeys. They are supposed to be uh, long and arduous journeys that take faith to get to the end of. They take persistence and denial of self to take these difficult journeys, to to arrive at a place of spiritual significance or enlightenment. And when I hear the word pilgrim, I I sort of picture someone who's walking along through a a desert or a rocky mountain. It's a difficult journey. Uh, Pilgrimages are not something people undertake for fun or convenience. So when we are on a pilgrimage of the heart, we need to learn how to taste God's provision in suffering. We need to learn how to taste God's provision in suffering. Psalm 84, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. This word baca here means to weep. Uh, baka refers to a type of tree, a weeping tree, one that sort of weeps or drips sap or resin. And it's normally found growing in, in dry, waterless places. And so the Valley of Baca symbolises this, this dry, difficult, sorrowful place. And in the psalmist's the day, pilgrims probably pass through this valley on their way to worship in Jerusalem. So as we journey through difficulties and hard experiences, as we reach out to God in those times and taste his goodness and provision, this opens our heart up to the wonder and the glory of who God is. In times of trial and weeping and suffering, we realise that the only blessing in life comes from finding strength and nourishment from God. And so, as we taste His goodness, we start to taste Him. As we appreciate His goodness, we start to appreciate Him. But this goes deeper than just experiencing breakthrough and blessing in hard times. Because each time as we journey as a pilgrim through the valley of weeping and receive God's gift of Himself, His very presence in those times, we begin to appreciate His presence. And his intimacy and the gift of him. And what you might find is that your suffering or your problems don't necessarily go away. Well, they don't go away as quickly as you would like. You can find yourself in a dry valley for an extended period of time before relief comes, and all you have in this time is God. God doesn't always guarantee us that miracle. He might not be meeting the needs you have. He might not be bringing the healing or the finance or the job or the spouse or the house. The ministry might not be bearing fruit. The prayers may remain unanswered. Life is hard. Depression is still there. Anxiety is still overwhelming. Past trauma is still biting at your ankles. But in the valley of weeping, what God is offering is himself. Have you ever found that when you're going through a struggle, uh, just being with someone can help? And and they, they don't necessarily have any great answers or solutions for you. They don't necessarily do or say anything amazing. It's just the fact that they are there with you. Loving you, sharing your journey. Time with them just seems to bring relief. When we don't see any change in our, our circumstance or our physical provision or answer to prayer, when we, when we don't get the, the thing, the healing, the change, that breakthrough we want, that's when we get Jesus. When all we get is God... That's when we discover that God is all we really need and all we really want. When we experience God's presence in the valley of weeping, our love of him takes on a new depth, a new maturity, because it's an unconditional love of who he is and his presence with us rather than what he does. And so we develop this third phase of love by tasting only God's presence and love in times of trial and suffering. And our hearts open to his love and beauty and greatness and we receive his love and we start to love him in return for who he is rather than what he does or gives. Better is one day in your courts and a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed, blessed is one who trusts in you. You know, we, we, we know that we're in this third phase of love when we can say, better is one day in your courts than a thousand glorious days elsewhere, when we can say we would rather be a humble, insignificant servant in God's household than holding any sort of fame or significance that the world would tell us is important to have. When it doesn't matter what he gives you or what he does with you or through you or in you, when all that really matters to you is intimacy with him. That's when we know we've broken through into that third phase of love. Whatever God's calling you to in in life, whatever abilities he has given you, uh, whatever ministry he has equipped you you for, would you trade all of that in for a life of insignificance but intimacy with God? Would you do that? Let me read to you from uh, The Jesus I Never Knew. And Philip Yancey he's talking here about a, uh, a priest who used to teach at Harvard University by the name of Henry Newen, and Henry Newen is a fairly well-known um, uh, intellectual and in, intellectual and author. i've got some of his books on my bookshelf. He's, he's a very talented, uh, uh, gifted, famous sort of person. And Philip talks about how this uh, person at the height of his career moved from Harvard University to a community called Daybreak in order to take on the demanding ch- chores required by his friendship with a man named Adam. <laughs> and so Newman now ministers not to intellectuals, but to a young man who is considered by many a useless person who should have been aborted. Newman describes his friend. Adam is a 25-year-old man who cannot speak, cannot dress or undress himself, cannot walk alone, cannot eat without as much as help. He does not cry or laugh, only occasionally does he make eye contact. His back is distorted, his arms and leg movements are twisted. He suffers from severe epilepsy and, despite heavy medication, sees few days without seizures. Sometimes, as he suddenly grows rigid, he utters a howling groan. On a few occasions, I've seen one big tear roll down his cheek. It takes me... uh, This is um, Nguyen an hour and a half to, to wake Adam up, get him his medication, carry him to his bath, wash him, shave him, clean his teeth, dress him, walk him to the kitchen, give him breakfast, put him in his wheelchair and bring him to the place where he spends most of the day with therapeutic exercises. And then uh, the author of the book, Philip Yancey, he, he says, on a visit to Newen in Toronto, I watched him perform that routine with Adam and I must admit I had a fleeting doubt as to whether this was the best use of his time. I've heard Henry Nguyen speak and I've read many of his books. He has much to offer. Could not someone else take over the menial task of caring for Adam? When I cautiously broached the subject with Nguyen himself, he informed me that I had completely misinterpreted what was going on. I'm not giving up anything, he insisted. It is I, not Adam, who gets the main benefit from the friendship. Then Nguyen began listing for me all the benefits he has gained. The hours spent with Adam, he said, has given him an inner peace so fulfilling that it makes, the most of, it makes most of his other more high-minded tasks seem boring and superficial by contrast. Early on, as he sat beside the helpless child man, he realised how marked with rivalry and competition, how obsessive was his drive for success in academia and Christian ministry. Adam taught him that what makes us human is not our mind but our heart. Not our ability to think, but our ability to love. From Adam's simple nature, he has glimpsed the emptiness necessary that can only be filled by God, the kind of emptiness that desert monks achieved after much searching and discipline. All during our interview, Henry Newen circled back to my question as if he could not believe I could ask such a thing. He kept thinking of other ways he had benefited from his relationship with Adam. Truly, he was enjoying a new kind of spiritual peace, acquired not within the stately quadrangles of Harvard, but from the bedside of incontinent Adam. And Whatever, whatever God is calling you to, whatever gifts and abilities and talents he has given you, would, would you trade them all in for a life of insignificance and service, but a life of greater intimacy and love of God? Even even the most fleeting taste of intimacy with God is far more satisfying than anything else this world has to offer. When our aim in life is to know how deep and how high and how wide and how long His love is and to reflect this love back to Him, you know, to receive and reflect when we we yearn to love him more deeply, this is when we know our hearts are set on a pilgrimage. This is when, um, as the the Passion Translation of this psalm says in verse 6, the Passion Translation says, "...even when their paths wind through the dark valley of tears, they dig deep to find a pleasant pool where others find only pain." When you know how to love God in dark and difficult times, this is gold. This is blessing. It's a superpower far greater than any Marvel superhero. Is your heart set on a pilgrimage? This is what it looks to be a mature, grown-up follower of Jesus. This is what great faith looks like being able to find joy and intimacy and delight with Jesus in places where others only find bitterness and weeping and despair. Perhaps you don't often visit the the valley of weeping. However, all of us can be people who yearn to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and all of our strength. So may the Holy Spirit light a raging fire of desire within you. May God be your greatest love and your biggest passion. Let us be a people who yearn for God. Let's bow our heads. It might be appropriate for you now to just stop and reflect just as you're Sit there with your eyes closed and your heads bowed. Do I yearn for God? Do I yearn for God? Or do I yearn after other things? Is God my greatest love, my biggest delight? Do I love God for who he is or what he does? And maybe you're even sitting there and you're not even sure if you do love God because it's it's such a, a, a difficult, abstract thing to understand. Do do I really love you, God? What does that mean? How do I know? I would say if that's you, then start with this. Just let God love you. Start there. Just let God love you. Lord God, we thank you for your intimacy and your presence with us. Holy Spirit, come now and just reveal the deep, high, wide, magnificent, and glorious love of the Father for us. Holy Spirit, may we know what it is to experience the never ending, overwhelming all-consuming love of God. And here today, as we sit and, and bask and delight in your love, we turn our hearts to you and, and we yearn for you. We yearn for you. We yearn to love you more, deeply, deeply, You are our greatest desire, Lord God Almighty. Nothing else in this world will ever come close, will ever satisfy as much as you do. One one day, one day in your presence is better than a lifetime without you. So our hearts turn to you. And we yearn. May we be a people who do not forget our first love, but are always going after It's the love of the Father. We thank you, Jesus, that it is you who have made that possible for us. We thank you Jesus, that you continue day by day to stir up a, a desire and a love of God in our life that just overflows into all we do. And that we might not be distracted by the other cheeses down the aisle. But that you, Jesus, are our one desire. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.